0: This is Disrupting Recruitment, a podcast focused on moving recruitment from a reactive to a proactive state. We talk to experts as well as recruitment marketers living it day to day to learn how to improve inbound as well as outbound and other recruitment marketing strategies. And it all starts now. All right, so we're very excited about this episode of Disrupting Recruitment. With uh, Kevin Grossman. I attended a webinar that he was on the other day talking about uh, data points and candidate drop off. So I wanted to talk to him a little bit about that. So, uh, welcome to the show, Kevin. Excited to have you here.
1: Brad, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So, why don't you tell uh, our listeners? I'm sure they know you a lot more than they know me, but uh, why don't you just tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do?
1: Sure. So, I have been in the HR recruiting technology space, primarily for over 23 years now. Um, And for the past seven plus, I've been running this benchmark research program called Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards, which is all about helping companies understand their strengths and weaknesses across the candidate journey and then getting candidate experience ratings. And then those companies who have Above average ratings in all of the regions that we track, which includes North America, EMEA, Latin America, and APAC, those companies that have above average ratings win our awards, and they're the only companies that we name publicly, otherwise it's always an anonymous and confidential process for the companies and their candidates, always anonymous for their candidates as well and um so but the companies that win our candy awards are the ones that we celebrate and we can talk about that later on in the show but um that's what we do every year and then we release that data and information and and reports and and articles and workshops and webinars and the list goes on and a book that i just released with a a friend of mine a ta practitioner named adela scolderman which is a a business impact candidate experience book
0: nice i'll uh, definitely have to check that one out
1: Yeah. yeah Um,
0: so candidate experience is what I know you most for, you uh-huh. know, with talent board and, and all the stuff you just talked about. Um, so I thought, why not? Let's just start there and, and we'll dig into some of the candidate experience stuff. And and I'm really excited to talk about data cause uh, we love data. Um, but what do you think really. Like why are why are companies missing the boat on this candidate experience thing? Like it should to me be such a no brainer that this is something that we focus on, but so many companies are doing it poorly. And and I I don't want to point out any companies that are like I I'd like to talk about some companies that are doing it well, but um like just what in your experience what you've seen across the board? Why are companies missing the boat on this?
1: It's always a kind of a, it's a complex question and and the reason, and it's also a very simple answer to that as well. The good news is that over the 10 plus years, 11 years now that we've been doing this benchmark research and what started as a very much volunteer driven labor of love survey research program that has kind of evolved. We're still a small team, but I like to say we do a lot of big work. and. We have worked with over twelve hundred companies today and have surveyed after this year will be closer to one point five million candidates today. And um compared to you know a database of a solution provider who could have millions of of contacts in there for us, that's a pretty big number for the amount of of data that we've had over the years. But the to answer your question, though, there are companies that have been leaning in over the years and really trying to do a better job at approving the candidate journey and, and understanding the impact on their business and their brand over time. But what happens is that it gets hard to sustain over time because there's always business impacts that companies get caught up in in their hair on fire busy with or whatever that means. For example, who plans for a pandemic, right? Right. So a pandemic hits, that <laughs> yeah. completely disrupted everything that we do in life, much less in work and business and recruiting and hiring. And then you've got changes on the leadership team, changes on the recruiting team. Maybe you're part of a merger or acquisition. Maybe they're changing priorities, economic fluctuations, new products and services, the list goes on, but all those things impact the business, which impacts recruiting and hiring. And we know in a downturn, recruiting's the first to go. In an upturn, it's the first to come back, and frenetically, as we've seen in this market in the past year, year and a year and a half, um, it is not easy. It's not easy to sustain, even though it's a top of mind priority, especially in a competitive candidate market that we're still in today. Even with hiring cooling a little bit and some more layoffs we're seeing and hearing about, um, but it is definitely very competitive still overall. And what happens is that companies. They know that candidate experience is important. They know they have to invest in it, just like they do an employee experience. But they put it in this box, and they put it on a shelf over here, up here. And they say, well, I I know I have to get to this, but I've got all these fires burning in front of me. All of those recruiting and hiring fires all interconnect with that thing that they just put on the shelf and impacts that thing they put on the shelf. And there's a disconnect there of what that, that potential impact on the business and the brand is over time. And every year we see it because we know there are candidates who are either willing or not willing based on their experience, to apply again in the future, to refer others. Nobody ever thinks about rejected candidates as possible referrals, but we see it in the data every year. And then as well as those who, um, for consumer-based businesses, whether or not I make a purchasing decision or not, that can be impacted by a poor or great candidate experience. And just to have brand affinity. So all those things we measure every year, it's not just this nice to have thing that I put it on the shelf. It does impact the business at the end of the day. If you just think about the sheer number of candidates who don't get hired for any given job, that's a much bigger number than those who did. So we would argue that you know leadership needs to be a champion of this as well as the 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 recruiting teams and the frontline recruiters and everybody, and the hiring managers as well. They all play a role. In impacting some key things like communication and feedback, which every year makes can make a huge amount of difference. And it's one of the things that, you know, companies control the the dials, Brad. They control the dials of what they say when they say it with what frequency, how they interact with candidates, automation as well as human interaction, all of those things. And yet, it's sometimes that when they're super crazy busy or whatever the case is going on with their business, they just feel like they don't have control over it, but they do. They do.
0: Absolutely. That's a lot to unpack right there. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I have no. um,
1: I have no problem talking shop, as they say, Brad. So. Uh,
0: so one of the things that you said that drives me absolutely bonkers is how recruiters always, or recruitment's always the first to go. Got and, it. um, I, I think it's such a poor business decision. Agreed. Um, it's like when sales are down, would you get rid of marketing or in sales? Like, they do, they, a lot of people lay off salespeople when sales are down too, but yep, how true. do you expect to read marketing,
1: And marketing, it gets to and, Discounted too.
0: Yeah, and and so like with rec- when recruiting is down when you're not hiring, that's the perfect time to be working on things like your candidate experience. And great. I-, I remember seeing a stat, and and I can't remember exactly what it is right now. About I think it was seventy six percent of candidates said that they've had a bad experience, and of those, sixty seven percent said they told other people or something along that line. I can't remember the stats right off. But well, it was like high numbers like that.
1: Well, we have that we the, it's similar similar to our data, Brad. So every year we also ask the candidates, "How likely are you to share positive and negative experiences with your inner circle? So people that are friends, family they talk to every day, close peers and colleagues, and it's in the sixty to seventy percent they share positive, and it but yet it still can be. 50 to 60 percent that share negative that's a lot of things and then not only that for those we asked do you share it publicly like in posting Glassdoor reviews and indeed reviews and just sharing online the numbers go down positives about 50 ish percent negatives about 30 ish but it's still a lot of people who are willing to share that information publicly they do it every year we all do it every year we all talk about the good the bad the ugly the in between it is out there. We will never stop it <laughs> all the time,
0: no, no, but I remember when I was in hospitality, yeah, um I, I used to work at a hotel, and we were like hawks all over uh, TripAdvisor and those types of feedback platforms. Sure. And anybody who posted negative feedback, we were always trying to change the narrative, right? True. Sure. and in marketing. Um, you know, from the the consumer or B2B side, if we had customers out there saying bad things about us, having bad experiences, most companies would stop at nothing to try to fix that. Sure. But they, they don't seem to care about candidates having bad experiences. And like you talked about the number of people that are not hired Mm -hmm. versus the number of people that are. But then you could even take it further and say the number of people that didn't even apply because they experienced something along the way that threw them off before they even got to the apply button. Right. And that brings the number up even, even higher. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's crazy how we're not like, to me, this understanding the journey that candidates are taking and trying to optimize for that is such an important factor in converting as much talent as you possibly can but
1: well you want um brad i think the key though and maybe this is where you're going with the conversation but you there's a there's kind of a give and take there because you do yes you do want to improve your conversions and getting people to apply you want more qualified people to apply but you don't you don't get that a lot of the time in fact you know the majority of people for any given job at the point of application are not qualified enough that's always the case and now it does vary across job types but you want you also want to give candidates the ability to self-select out like maybe this isn't for me at the end of the day you want to, it's got to be both so you want to increase conversions yes preferably of those that have some qualification and while you're getting others to self-select out that just I, this isn't for me at the end of the day.
0: Absolutely. I I'm a big fan of candidates self-selecting out. So when I say increasing conversions, I'm, I'm not saying like we need to have 80% of our candidates convert, but uh, the stats right now are 60% or 70% don't. So yeah. there is room to improve that. And I think if you're getting the wrong candidates applying, then that, comes back down to marketing tactics, right? You're, do you understand what your, um, you know, what your ICP is, your ideal candidate profile and are you marketing on the right channels to those people? And I would argue that a lot of companies don't, they just post jobs and and that's their inbound strategy. Um, but what are some of the companies that you like, not necessarily naming a company specifically, but. Um, some of the things that you've seen that people have done really, really well, um that you know, have won awards with you guys for um you know who's who's nailing this out there?
1: Well, companies, for example, like Hoag Memorial Hospital Presbyterian. I'm referring to winners from last year because we're still collecting data for this year. In in early September, we'll we'll have the winners for this year. Um across regions too, and not just in North America. But per last year, Hogue Memorial Hospital, Presbyterian, Ritchie Brothers, New York, Presbyterian, D2L, JSX, Virtusa, Waste Management, Conagra Brands, Colorado Springs Utilities, Stantec, those were the top 10. Now, there's many more than that, because we we're about rewarding those who are above average, not just the top 10. Um, but those companies, though, that I just referenced, those brands that are big and small across industries as well, are all doing a. They're not doing everything right all the time. They're doing more of the things right in proven practices that we find in our research more of the time. So, for example, they are dispositioning more consistently within one to two weeks, even sometimes sooner than that. When of of un, for unqualified candidates or candidates that just aren't going to go any farther they understand that the timeliness of that makes a huge difference even no matter wh- and no matter what happens by the way in our data every year there's always a negative skew because the majority of our candidates 90% last year in North America didn't get hired that's like real life right so m- most c- candidates don't get hired mm-hmm and there's always going to be a negative skew in our data for that group because they didn't get hired they all in fact when you think about net promoter score for anybody who tracks that and maybe you use that for your own candidate experience feedback as well as even employee experience feedback and if you look at the net promoter score most companies in our data they're only ever going to see nps scores over 50 50 to 100 which is in the higher ranges for people who were hired, that's the only time they're going to see NPS scores that high. Only for the people who got hired, because those are the only happy customers at the end of the day. For of course, right. <laughs> I mean that, yeah. that's it, right? Everybody else is like, ah, I'm bum, but you know. But the the thing is, though, when they say I'm bum, but that person, they were fair, they were timely, they told me what was going to happen next. So not only timely dispositions, but, you know, expectation setting, what's going to happen next in the process, no matter how far I get. Structured interviews, So that's more consistent for for me, for an experientially, as well as for selection that is consistent across job types. The same kinds of questions that we're asking you, I'm going to ask them. Um, That is something that the top 10 are doing a lot more of. And even, I would argue, most of the candy winners are too but it's it's across the board and at the front end so before you know going back to conversion right before i decide to apply what is it that i'm looking for in it with a company and there's a lot of things that candidates do of course they're looking at benefits and salaries and today is it a remote flexible work workplace where i can work remotely not every company can do that not every position can do that but if there's more of that today than we saw uh, what happened over during COVID. But they're look. But besides those things, they're looking for culture, values, employee testimonials, career path development opportunities, DNI initiatives. What What are you focused on to be more inclusive as an employer? The candidates across generations tell us that. That's more of the stuff they're consuming. And all of the candy winners last year in our data of overall had a fifty percent higher net promoter scores um at the point of research before candidates even applied than all the other companies that participated. Because of more of the stuff that they're presenting to candidates on that they're marketing that they're and the transparency that they're offering, which goes can which goes a long way with convincing a candidate maybe I should apply for this job at the end of the day. So they're doing some again not all the things right all the time, but more of it right most of the time, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think Having that, like the research part that candidates are doing is, is critical. They're researching companies way more than they ever used to. And to the level of, I would almost say buying a car or buying a house, like if you're buying a car, unless you're a specific brand and that's all you buy, you know, you do a lot of research before you buy, but uh, you know, and that goes down to, you know, what the service department is like and after sales service and sure. all that stuff. Right. And in, in companies need to do a better job. I think of, of putting that material out there to let company, let candidates research them uh-huh. and understand sort of what is, what is important to their candidates. And that goes back to that persona or that profile that I talked about and putting that information out there. Um, and one of the things that i like drives me insane when I see it on a job application is we appreciate all of those that apply, but only qualified applicants will be yeah. contacted, like screw off, reach out to everybody. Yeah. Even if it's just, thank you for applying, yeah. and a polite PFO email. Um, like you, you owe that to the person who's sum- hit submit. Um, and I I think my opinion is, and I'm, this is totally a guess, but I think there's people that don't apply for jobs that see that. But, um, I I think it's like, that's some of that stuff. I I know when I was first launching candidate hub, we know, we talked to candidates and overwhelmingly all they kept saying was, I just. I apply and I go into a black hole and that's what drives people crazy. So communication I I think is key.
1: It is key and setting expectations, even when we know, and this is an uphill battle for most employers of any hiring volume, because if they do have a higher volume um, of applications on a monthly basis, it's you know, automate. You have to leverage automation in order to to process those. That's just not something that's realistic, and that's been the way that way for since you know, b- going back a, over two decades when or from even early ATS's. But the the fact of the matter is, you like I said earlier, you control the dials. You control what you say and when you say it. In those systems, and it doesn't have to be that if you're qualified, we'll be in contact. No, I mean, you, but be clear too, though. And if you're, if somebody truly is unqualified at the point of applying, then too soon is too soon. Like you don't want to, like I've heard before from candidates, they automatically get auto screened and rejected immediately. That's too soon. But within, you know, give it a few days and do it within one to two weeks. That is timely. When, when you, are holding on to everybody until the, that wreck is filled and then you disposition, that could be weeks or months later. And for people who are truly not qualified for the job, let them know, tell them, thank them for their time. That's all they want. Thank them for their time and say, you know what? We're just not gonna pursue you. And, and maybe potentially if you have a system that can do this automatically to make recommendations for other roles that maybe they can pl- apply for, that's even, that goes a long way with candidates. So there's a lot you can do, even though it's a very limiting, limited experience for candidates at, at, at the point of applying, but you still control the dials as the employer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's all the candidates are looking for. Just don't leave me hanging and just give me an answer. If it's no, it's no, Um, some will be pissed off about that, but that's okay. Um, and if you don't have a system that'll, uh, automate some of that stuff, then, uh, we should talk, <laughs> but, right. uh, um, I, I really enjoyed your webinar that you did, um, the other day about data points and, mm-hmm. uh, candidate drop-offs. Um, I believe that was with Gem, was it not?
1: Um, we did do one with jam. Yes, that, that talked. Yes, that is correct. And with, uh, the gentleman from, yeah. uh, cockroach labs, I believe. Right. David, yeah. That was David, the one David's his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was, yeah. I really enjoyed that. So, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, if anybody didn't see that webinar, um, well will uh, you know, definitely worth checking out, but, sure. um, what's sort of your experience and in, in, in what you see if you talk a little bit about some of the stuff that uh, they talked about on that webinar in terms of drop-off points and, and why it's important to know that?
1: Well, I mean, you want to know where you're losing folks, right? I mean, especially even before they even decide to apply. I mean, at the point of uh, if they're hitting the career site or they're coming in through Indeed or other job boards, et cetera, I mean, what what you, you want to, you need to understand where that traffic's coming from and what happens as much as you can when they, prior to them applying for that job, are they finding what they need? Um, are they getting questions answered on the career site? Whether that's with the chat bot or usually it's more of a chat bot than humans are answering questions um, these days on the career site. And, um, you know, asking candidates for feedback, even at the point of Prior to them even applying, like, hey, thanks for thanks for visiting our career site. You know, tell us what you thought about our brand. There's different ways, questions that you can ask. Our survey partner, surveil, has a uh, a program functionality called Always On, where you can just have it on your career site and do many many surveys. Getting data, speaking, getting data specifically from your candidates as to why they're doing things, why they're stopping by, what they think of your brand. Um, And then throughout the process, too, at the point after they apply, asking them for feedback, that's all data that you can use that that can inform improvements that you, you probably should make and things you should double down on that are actually working for the candidates if they are actually converting. But you need to understand where candidates are coming what are the what's the journey that they have with you and how long does it take to apply for a job if they actually decide to apply how long does the process take are you are you getting the minimal required information that you need at the point of application to to get keep them moving in your screening process that is more seamless and timely for the candidate as opposed to that lengthy you know 20 30 45 minute plus maybe another 30-minute-plus assessment at the point of application, um, which you're going to get a lot more folks abandoning, especially in this market at any job level, um, and that you're folks, they're just going to abandon it at the end of the day. And, and one thing that I was reminded of recently, Brad, too, is that streamlining that application process and where you might lose folks and making sure that you're not asking them to fill out redundant fields and you know again the one way to to know this is to apply for your own jobs by the way but the the point is is that um applying for understanding what that experience is like and how long it's taking but you also still have to be compliant at the end of the day so in the States, for example, the, you know, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, you, we have to be clear about what, you know, you have to be crystal clear and fair and compliant. But you can still do a lot of work making it much easier. What is, again, the minimal amount of information that you need to continue to further screen a candidate? Um, so the one way to really understand drop-off points is to know what that experience is like and to apply for your own jobs highly recommended if you have not done it and there's still i'm always surprised how many people I, whether i'm doing a virtual event or an in-person event when i ask that question that more hands should be going up and they don't
0: yeah so if you're listening to this podcast and you have not applied for one of your own jobs hit pause and go do that
1: right now <laughs> Well, that seriously- is critical it is critical. You don't critical. have critical. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it with any great frequency. Maybe depending on it just depends on changes that you're implementing in your systems, or if you're implementing a new system, like an ATS, for example, or a CRM, or whatever that impacts your recruiting tech stack. You may want to do it then too, but you know, one or once or twice a year, you you don't have to do this monthly if you've made adjustments accordingly, but you should do it. If you've never done it to date to have some, I mean, it's just really super important.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that I find is that uh, companies really struggle with knowing that data and, and, and being able to find that data that, that, you know, where are candidates coming from? Um, there's few companies that can do it really well. But where, like, what channels are, com- are candidates coming from?
1: How many yeah. times
0: are they hitting my careers page before they apply? Yeah. Um, you know, so when I talk about converting more candidates, you know, if somebody comes to the career page once, spends thirty seconds, and bounces. Not really interested in, in investing money into trying to convert them. But if somebody's there two or three times, obviously they're they're kind of interested, right? So, how do I capture that? uh, you know, that candidate we have, you know, but like with our clients, if somebody has been on the, on the website a couple of times, two, three times, we can, you know, maybe have a pop-up that shows up to offer them some reason to give us their email address, or, um, you know, we can do different we're sort of retargeting and in, in different strategies to try to get that candidate to convert because we know that they've been on the site three times. Sure. Um, so, but understanding that journey is important to being able to, to make real time decisions about what's working and what's not yep. and where you're losing candidates and where you are, are gaining candidates. And again, one of the things that drives me crazy is register to apply.
1: Yeah. Like, no. I
0: can't believe that still exists in the world.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I think that's just um, that's too it's too cumbersome. It's 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 again that you the goal, I would argue, is to make it super clear what the job is, what how what it's like working at the company up front. And then getting folks to self-select or not. And then what is the minimal amount of information and the path of least resistance to get them in the door. And then you can use whatever other screening procedures and processes and technologies that you have in place to filter them further. But that is, you know, what is that minimal amount of information and, and the process and the experience that makes a big difference? We've seen over the years in our data and research that we've gone from a much longer application process to more and more companies now, less than 15 minutes. And that may or may not include an assessment, but it is definitely a a, a trend that we continue to see, which is why it's shocking to me sometimes when I still hear there. you know, I know it varies depending on industry and company and job type, but when I'm hearing, some, it's taking somebody 30 to 45 plus minutes to apply, I'm like, whoa way too long i just it's way too long you're trying to get too much information here (laughs) when you want to get them in the door and then figure out what else you need from them at the end of the day but don't 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 make them register either for an account that that, yeah and i
0: Like when that idea first came out, it was, you know, let's get them to register. Then we have their email address and we can create a profile and we could send them jobs that they might be interested in. And that's a good idea, but you don't need them to register to be able to do that. Right. You have all of their information. They're giving you their email address. And if you have like questionnaires or assessments that you want to do, as part of your application process great don't do it all up front like like you said what's the i i'm all for creating a path of least resistance and giving them as much information as they need to self select out so that i'm talking to the right people and um and, and i'm not making it too cumbersome for them to get in the door and i just want their basic information right like if i you know in in a, a When you're filling out a form for a demo for a product or buying product, you don't have to give them your whole life story. You just give them your name and company and email address, right? right. Now, there's a whole lot more information the company needs to know in order to present a solution to you. But they don't ask for that at the request a demo page. They ask for that on a right. call. Right. And recruiters are so, I think, so ingrained because we've done it for this way for so long. in. I need to create as much friction in the process to have people to eliminate as many people as possible right uh, as opposed to let's figure out who we want, market to them appropriately, track what's working, what isn't working, make adjustments on the fly, allow people to self select out, create an amazing experience, yeah, and um and then collect the information that I need along the way. so, If I want to do an assessment, after I get the application, two days later, send out an email saying, thanks for your application. We like your resume. Can you please complete this assessment? Right. Um, You can do that without even touching anything. That's that's automation.
1: That exactly is automation. Candidates appreciate even automated emails. They do, Brad. The candidates, any job candidate anywhere in the world only cares about one thing. And that's getting hired and most won't Mm -hmm. for any for any given job that's the reality of recruiting and hiring and what we find is that automation can be your friend i mean everybody wants to talk to a human but most people at the point of application for any hiring volume won't and the other thing another thing that we're finding that i'm surprised it still hasn't had any greater traction yet, although we're seeing it picking up in our data and our research, but, um, text notifications, have much more higher deliverability than email does. And I think that that's one of the areas that we're going to see a lot more growth in the years to come because the ability to tax, not only to notify candidates about, about a job, but also to shepherd them along the process, getting them to apply, asking them for feedback and the list goes on is going to, I think, going to be maximized more and more with tags. And I'm not, I'm not even promoting any particular platform brand or anything. I just think texting is definitely a a much better way for consistency to reach folks because the emails are getting trapped and spam filters and deliverability gets harder every year with email and, and you may be hiring roles hourly roles in stores and plants, et cetera. A lot of these folks don't even use email very much. And even the ones that they use for their, for their jobs, they're not checking them all that often, unless they're actively looking for a job, but, um, and they don't, and most, and they don't even have computers. They have phones. That's what we, that's the world that we live in today. Right. So it's just something you've got to take all those things in consideration when it comes to converting candidates too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, if you're in the UK, then you got to consider WhatsApp. Um, yeah, right. But yeah, those, those channels are all, all important. <laughs> yep. And there's a ton of different text messaging tools. Yeah. Um, you know, we use Twilio, um, as, as our platform for sending sure. uh, text messages, but there's, there's tons of them out there. And, yeah. um, but understanding that the, you have to go to where they are. And, uh, email may not be the answer, but it's not completely dead either on the other side of it, but, um, your open rates are much higher on text, Definitely. And response rates are much higher on text than they are on emails. So, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about candidate experience and data and missing data and um let's let's circle back to the candy awards uh i know they're coming up in november um but uh
1: do you want to do you want to give that uh, a shameless plug of course i do brad you know that i would love to do that so um real quick again uh, the, the benchmark research that we do year after year um includes uh companies who have an above average ratings in their candidate experience ratings Based on the averages, the benchmarks that we find every year in each region around the world, um, we give awards away to. So then part of uh, our event, it's been the first time in three years since we've done this in person, since we all have been through COVID. But um, so the, our conference is going to be a great one and a half days. We're partnering with TalentNet Live, Craig Fisher and his organization in Dallas, Texas, November 2nd and 3rd there's a great half-day workshop for TA leaders on day one, and then day two is the full conference day with speakers and panel discussions and sessions, and then capped off by our Candy Awards dinner, where we l- literally give physical awards away to the companies who won. Again, solely based on their data. It's not a judge process at all. And um, that is what we're doing. And you can find out inf- more information by going to the talentboard.org. You can also go to candy events.org, which is literally the, the website for the conference and, um, lots of great information about it, but we hope folks will come out. There's going to be a lot of learning around recruiting, hiring, and improving candidate experience, um, throughout that day and a half, again, November 2nd and 3rd in Dallas, Texas. And we're super excited about it. So if people
0: want to get a hold of you, how do they, how do they track you down?
1: Um, you, I just connect with me on LinkedIn is probably one of the easiest ways. I'm a pretty much an open networker. So just search for Kevin Grossman talent board on LinkedIn. Um, you can go to the talentboard.org as well. And lots of f- great free resources are research and other re- resources that are available on our site, but those would be the two places to, to go to.
0: Perfect. Well, listen, I really appreciate you uh, spending some time with me today. Um, I know it's bright and early for you. Uh, so I'm um, looking forward to the Candy Awards in November and um, future conversations we may have.
1: You got it. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it.